Well, hello again and welcome to this Euractiv hybrid conference with the support of the Embassy of the Republic of Kazakhstan to the Kingdom of Belgium. I'm Charles Shumsky, I'm a journalist and reporter from Euractiv and I have the great pleasure of, being moder of moderating this panel today. Um, today we'll be discussing the role for trade and the supply for uh, critical raw materials in the EU-Kazakhstan relationships, which is all the more important that this week is the EU Raw Materials Week. Um, a bit of context, the EU is Kazakhstan's largest overall trading partner, accounting for 40% of uh, its external trade. And the Memorandum of Understanding on Strategic Partnerships in Sustainable Raw Materials, Batteries, Renewable, Hydrogen, Value Chains was signed in November 2022, um, being a very strategic partnership and um, uh, pivotal for green and digital transition, as well as the energy decarbonization of the European Union. And this is one of uh, the questions that I think we will have the opportunity to debate today. At Euractiv, we strive for gender balance in our events. Uh, regrettably, on this occasion, we had some difficulties finding some female uh, panelists. Nonetheless, we are extremely excited and honored to introduce the following uh, speakers joining us for our discussion today. Uh, to my left, we have uh, MEP Władimierz Cimoszewicz from Poland, a uh, member of the DCAS Committee of the European Parliament. We also have Mr. Dumitru Fornea from the European Economic and Social Committee. Mr. Axel Guthals, uh, the CEO of the European Institute for Asian Studies. And uh, Mr. Kana Sharlapayev, sorry, Minister of Industries of the Republic of Kazakhstan. Also online, joining us from live from Almaty, Kazakhstan, we have Dr. Negmiet Ibadildin. I hope I said it right. Uh, Mr. Ibadildin is the Chair of International Relations at Kaimep University in Almaty, Kazakhstan. To join the, in the discussion, you can submit your questions uh, to our panelists. For the people in the room and online, feel free to scan the QR code on the screen for the Slido, uh, the Slido app. Please note that any questions in Slido needs to be in English, and uh, please indicate to whom you want to address your question. Now, gentlemen, we're going to proceed to your opening statements. One minute, one minute and a half each. Uh, we're going to start with you, Mr. Cimoshevich. You have the floor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Let me just say very uh, briefly that uh, when over 20 years ago I was appointed foreign minister of my country, my first visit to a non-EU country member state was Kazakhstan. Uh, uh, that was my decision because I believed uh, in great potential of Kazakhstan economic potential, but also as a country located in a very important part of the world. Um, uh, my country had uh, excellent political relations in at least mid-90s uh, with Kazakhstan, but it was uh, to be, let's say, added, supported by developing our economic cooperation, and results were very satisfying. Uh, since then, I follow the uh, development of Kazakhstan, including uh, political process taking uh, place in this country, uh, constitutional reforms, uh, together with Ambassador, not long ago we organized a conference in the European Parliament to present constitutional changes uh, in, in that country. So thank you very much for inviting me for, uh, to, to participate in this panel and to discuss uh, the future EU relations with this country. I, I'm very glad that uh, also the leaders of the European Union have recently understood how big are possibilities uh, uh, of developing our cooperation, including the most sensitive areas that we are going to talk about today. 
Thank you very much. Mr. Fournier, for your opening statement. Thank you very much for invitation. Kazakhstan, uh, for us, it's a strategic uh, region of uh, Asia. Um, I participated in March at the um, Civil Society Forum on, on Central Asia in uh, Tashkent, and I met uh, wonderful friends from uh, Kazakhstan, from Civil Society Organization, and uh, they visited us at the European Economic and Social Committee, and uh, after these exchanges, we decided to have a own initiative opinion on um, Central Asia, in particular focus on uh, Kazakhstan uh, uh, since next year. Uh, I was rapporteur on critical raw material issues, and <coughs> I know from the researches which are over, over the world, from uh, United States geological surveys, for uh, the Swedish geological surveys, that Kazakhstan is a very important geological country with a lot of opportunities for uh, um, European industries, but also um, a country where um, the people are somehow connected with the European civilization. Um, I think uh, in the future um, our relation will be improved because we have the example of my country, Romania, where Rompetrol, it's an important player, Kai uh, Munaigas, which has done a wonderful job in the uh, Southeast uh, Europe. It's a regional player, moreover imported a Romanian name. So it's uh, adopted uh, among our companies and together with SOCAR was an alternative to during all this period of uh, crisis to the um, Russian gas, Russian uh, for, uh, fuels and so on. So we are uh, staying tuned on what is happening in Kazakhstan and we are keen to cooperate with, uh, with this country in the next period. Thank you very much. Mr. Hoodhouse? Yes, well, I'm CEO of the European Institute for Asian Studies. This is a think tank founded in 89 already, on, and we're working on everything what is EU-Asia relations. We have a really strong focus on Central Asia, and this already since a very long time. And with our institute, our approach is that a think tank should be pioneering on identifying and developing, but also implementing the new potentials for relations between European Union and Asia. And here we see with Kazakhstan, which country where I've been already several times and over a long period, that there is a huge potential for the EU, but what we mainly observe is that the EU has missed already an opportunity after the collapse of the Soviet Union to develop its relationship in the region and with Kazakhstan in particular. And I think there is a new momentum now again, and we hope that the European Union now really puts the resources not to miss this opportunity again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, joining us online from, um, from Almaty, do you hear us, Dr. Ibadildin, for your opening statement? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Thank you. Please, your opening statement. So, my, yeah, my opening statement, I represent Kimap University over here, and this university exists since 1993, and it is located in Almaty, and we have a lot of European students. Uh, we, we are part of... Erasmus program, exchange programs with European students. We have contacts with Jagiellonian University, with University of Glasgow, with University of Tartu, and students are coming regularly from all European 
and instructor, a professor as well. We had some guys from Romania, some people. I, I mean, they come in regularly all the time. And regarding the topic of this critical materials, I think it's very important for Kazakhstan, for European Union as well. And Kazakhstan signed uh, several treaties with uh, European. We have uh, even program for kind of European orientation. And uh, like president, he met with uh, Scholz, with Olaf Scholz. Recently, Emmanuel Macron was over here. And actually, even ambassador of European uh, Union, he was in our university also. We have very good contacts with him as well. So I think our meeting will be productive and the contacts with European Union, especially in this very complicated geopolitical kind of situation right now with all this turmoil. For Kazakhstan, it's very, very important to have some kind of European Union as our main trade partner, as some kind of uh, all this political orientation, this institutional development. It's very important for us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, finally, Mr. Minister, for your opening statement. First of all, um, I'd like to thank our co-panelists for the kinds of words that they shared about Kazakhstan. I think um, uh, Kazakhstan and EU cooperation has always been there. I think what are we doing today is opening a new chapter in that cooperation. The critical materials, and uh, we had a very um, a big session today during the day about the Kazakhstan resources and how we can contribute to the sustainability and diversification of the supplies to the European Union of the critical materials. I think um, that contribution is apparent. I also would like to maybe expand slightly on some of the points that were made uh, uh, today. The, the key thing for us is that Kazakhstan is not just rich in terms of the mineral base, right? Kazakhstan has been a, a reliable partner to EU and contributed to the energy security of the European Union through the oil supply. We've contributed to the uh, stability of the um, nuclear energy supply through our uranium. And now uh, Kazakhstan is ready and committed to integrate itself to the um, uh, value chain of the critical materials, which will be, as uh, they aptly named, critical to our green energy transition. And the other key distinction that I'd like to make here, the Subsoil reaches of Kazakhstan are, of course, available and explorable. But out of the 34 critical materials that are listed by the EU, 18 are already produced in Kazakhstan. And uh, we already have an existing cooperation with many European companies with regards to the supply. But I think the biggest steps that we can make with immediate effect is expansion of the supply of uh, materials that we already produce. And they include niobium, titanium, beryllium, uranium, osmium. So there's a, there's a variety of critical materials that are already available in Kazakhstan, but not in the subsoil, not in the mineral wealth of the, of the ground. They're already being produced. I think that is uh, something which presents a very strong foundation on which we can build our future cooperation. Thank you. Thank you very much. We will proceed now to the to the discussion. If you have questions you want to ask, and I think it's already a bit the case, 
Uh, feel free to ask your question on Slido in English and precise to whom you uh, ask your question. Um, I'd like just to maybe come back very rapidly to the minister to start of the debate. We're talking about resources, we're talking about critical raw materials. Could you give us a very brief account of what kind of materials that are um, extremely inter interesting for the European Union Kazakhstan is rich of? Okay. Look, I think we, we should start probably with something that's quite obvious, right? And we're talking about copper. Kazakhstan is the top in the top ten of copper producing countries in the world. And uh, Kazakhstan is making very serious efforts and significant investments towards increasing production of, of copper. And why copper is relevant? Because if we think about the energy transition and the, and the decarbonization of the economy, copper is one of the widely used and most relevant materials. If you look at any electric car that's driven by a battery and disassemble it, you probably find two or three engines which will be full of copper probably around 14, 15 kilograms of copper per an engine. Mm -hmm. And for us to fulfill the green agenda that we have in front of the world now, we will probably need to significantly increase copper output globally, not just in Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. And because Kazakhstan is already a relevant player in that space, uh, we have pre-existing expertise in developing and mining copper and producing copper. And uh, we're working on a, on a large expansion program. If you touch, for example, on something like titanium, which is where our uh, cooperation with the European Union is, is, is quite strong, if you think about it, one of the, I think, best examples of European cooperation is Airbus as a project. It probably touches every country within the European Union, but titanium is a critical resource for the aircraft manufacturing industry. And the, in the aircraft manufacturing industry, for titanium, there's a very limited supply. And one of the Kazakhstani producers who produces titanium supplies it to the European market. And um, I think um, we can expand on that list and we talk about usage of niobium, beryllium, mm. or, or, or other materials. But fundamentally, uh, I think, and I'm just coming back to the points that I made earlier, we already have relationships that are quite strong and where both European companies and companies from Kazakhstan have proven to each other that they can be reliable partner and can um, have a, a, a long-term successful and mutually beneficial cooperation. Um, but I think we need to take a step further, and um, this is, comes back to the developing of the resources that we have on the ground now. Mm -hmm. So Kazakhstan has made a lot of uh, efforts to make, for example, award of exploration contracts for, for the mining industry very open. Um, that process is uh, fully digitized now, and somebody can go to a website called mineral.gov.kz and apply for an exploration license in the, in the areas that, that mm. they uh, think uh, are interested to them. And, and I think this is where it's a second stage of our cooperation, which could be very much possible. It's a longer time horizon. But when we think about longer time horizons, it's geology. It's driven by the fact that somebody needs to find, explore the site. Somebody needs to then build a processing and a manufacturing facility. Yes, it takes longer. But I think in the current environment, in the, in the current uh, situation, the reliability of supply, its sustainability, <laughs> its traceability, which is also an important factor for traceability of the supply, um, 
uh, becomes a lot more important than sometimes pricing or volume considerations. So from that standpoint, because of the mutual history that European companies and, and, and Kazakhstan have in various aspects of the operation, I think this gives us a very, very, I guess, strong foundation in terms of, okay, we can expand on that and we can jointly invest into slightly more long-term stories relating to the critical materials in Kazakhstan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to ask Mr. Chimoshevich, um, given your experience in the fact you've been following and knowing Kazakhstan for quite a long time, time now, um, how did you see, did you see an increased importance of the region in the EU um, and namely in the Union's maybe strategic assessments? Do you feel there is more need for trade with the region and uh, maybe more with Kazakhstan? Uh, my answer is yes, yes, I see that. Uh, I see progress in our relations and I see uh, a potential for the future uh, to develop that. Uh, this is due to the uh, reasons uh, mentioned by and explained by Mr. Minister. Kazakhstan as a, a big producer and bigger in the future supplier of critical materials to, to the European Union may help us uh, implementing our major projects like New Green Deal. Uh, in fact, uh, implementing that uh, project together with Kazakhstan as a supplier for some absolutely necessary materials can uh, be our common input uh, to fight uh, with climate change. Uh, uh, by, by the way, I believe that uh, we should uh, talk with Kazakhstan not only about uh, purchasing raw materials from that country, but also assisting uh, processing uh, and uh, making it possible for Kazakhstan to become a final producer of many products uh, needed in, uh, in modern industry. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I've been following and uh, in, in some way also uh, participating in, in uh, developing some ideas uh, in foreign policy, in our mutual relations. Uh, Kazakhstan used to be a visible uh, an active international partner since the very beginning, I mean, after declaring its uh, independence. Let me remember everybody that just after that uh, uh, moment, uh, Kazakhstan uh, decided to stop uh, nuclear tests uh, at its territory. And the first uh, president of Kazakhstan became a famous uh, leader, global leader in promoting the idea of the nuclearization of the, of the world. I myself participated in conference, uh, conferences uh, uh, in Astana, uh, uh, talking about that. And then uh, Kazakhstan is uh, the biggest and the major, I would say, country of Central Asia. And uh, as you all know, the uh, geopolitical center of gravity has moved far eastward. And the role of Asia, Asian countries, including uh, countries of Central Asia, has grown uh, significantly, and uh, I believe that it is in mutual interest of Kazakhstan as well as European Union uh, to strengthen our cooperation. Uh, from my point of view, that's, that's evident. European Union, if uh, we want to play a visible role of a political entity uh, on global scale, needs to have uh, best possible relations with many regions of the world, including, of course, Central Asia. And uh, Kazakhstan, with full respect for the sovereign country uh, decision, uh, what kind of uh, foreign policy feeds the best uh, needs, uh, I believe, uh, should also value um, 
differentiation and uh, balancing uh, its relations with, uh, with the other countries. So we know geography, we know uh, who are the, the biggest neighbors and uh, naturally big or biggest partners, including economic uh, partners. But uh, in, from my point of view, as a Polish politician, it was always very important to balance our relations with various partners. So I believe that Europe can and should be an interesting uh, and important partner for Kazakhstan. And in this development, maybe a question for Mr. Fournier, um, in this development of relations between the EU and Kazakhstan, do you feel that um, the constitutional reforms that happened last year, did you feel an effect on the development of these trade relations? It's important for us in the European Union to, um, to focus also on, um, on the values. And uh, we know that we have um, due diligence uh, legislation we know that uh, in European Union, um, the consumer is um, very sensitive to issues related with uh, human rights, democracy, and so on. Uh, but we have to respect also the, the situation uh, in certain jurisdictions. And uh, we are aware that uh, we have to uh, adapt to the concrete situations um, on the ground. Uh, it's also a discussion about the synergy between uh, Belt and Road Initiative, for example, and Global Gateway, if this might be a synergy. It's uh, all, uh, important for all these products in, um, uh, that are uh, available in Kazakhstan to arrive on European markets in good condition. And for this, our intergovernmental initiative like Traseca, which has been developed in order to uh, build these um, uh, infrastructure uh, connections, uh, but also it's important that in the mining regions, the civil society, the, the community, can also benefit from this project. It's the same question that we had it in Romania. Uh, I've been, uh, we had a trade union organization, Russia Montana project, and we saw how mining projects, they had uh, a lot of issues due to the non-acceptance from the community. I imagine in Kazakhstan the things are more simple because the country is huge comparing with what we have in European Union and the position of these uh, perimeters are uh, more isolated, not in the center of communities. But still, I imagine that for any providers of uh, critical raw materials, this aspect of sustainability, due diligence, um, uh, compliance with, uh, you know, in general, human rights and all the legislation which is observed at international level. Imagine that the Americans, they have the Frank Dodd Act and so on. So it's a corpus of legislation which any company, it's, uh, it's uh, asked to, to, re to res respect and to observe. I imagine these issues are also important for Kazakhstan and will be integrated in our discussion in the future. But as was said, to correspond to our market, some efforts has been done and some companies they have uh, created supply chains, uh, chains which are considered uh, sustainable now. So that is uh, the good news. In the future, the potential is there. Cooperation between geological surveys in uh, Europe and uh, Kazakhstan, uh, investments in, uh, in these regions are a lot of actions which can be done, but also investments in the communities and the civil society organization will be a good um, um, uh, approach. And in this regard, the European Economic and Social Committee is ready already to start this cooperation with the civil <coughs> society organization in Kazakhstan since next year. We'll have pre uh, first contacts, but I know that the European External Action Service with the Ms. Harkala already initiated action in this uh, regard. Thank you very much for your answer. Um, we talked a lot about um, 
the interaction between the green objectives of the European Union and um, the, the fact that Kazakhstan is very rich in critical raw materials. I have a question for Mr. Hudhals. Um, how, um, how is it that we could make it economically viable to um, get these critical raw materials to Europe? Well, I would say, first of all, we have to observe that Kazakhstan is in fact becoming a major hub between the, in the middle corridor, and that means where the Chinese BRI is reaching, I would say, the global gateway strategy of Europe. Now, from that point of view, we have also to look to the local infrastructure situation in Kazakhstan. When you look to the reality of the mining, it's mainly still mining of critical raw materials in Kazakhstan. But what's still missing is really is the investment in processing of the raw materials. And when you look to it from a major perspective in this middle road corridor, middle corridor, in fact, you have a lot of, I would say, logistic problems to get, I would say, the mining and minerals from Kazakhstan to Europe. So if you want to have, I would say, an input from Europe to Kazakhstan, in fact, we also have to consider that in Europe, the major mi global mining companies are Chinese, US, Australian and Canadian. We are not really very strong in global mining companies in Europe. But on the other side, we are very strong, I would say, in more the extracting and the processing side. But also there is a fact that those companies who are involved in those sectors in Europe, it's not the main I would say, activity in their holding company structures. It's more niche sectors in their, global, in their company structures. But on the other hand also, where those European companies are active, they are really active from a high-tech and innovational perspective on really technological innovation point. And I think that's an asset we can bring to Kazakhstan. But when you look now to the Critical Raw Material Act and strategies of the EU to Kazakhstan and to Central Asia, there is one major missing point. Because investors and companies, if you want from European perspective, invest in Central Asia, you need political, economic stability. And that's not so easy and also a long-term perspective. So on, from investors' perspective, it's, there are still quite a lot of investors' risks. And the EU, in, his, in its strategies towards Central Asia, doesn't take really that part in account. There are very little financial incentives. There are very little financial frameworks or 
instruments which are part of those strategies for Central Asia. And when you read well those strategies, it's mainly left to the member states to take care of those financial <coughs> risks or incentives. And I think that's the main issue. You can have a lot of nice strategies, but if you don't take in account from a corporate and company perspective and an enterprise perspective, the financial risks and aspects on investment, you, uh, you're missing a, a very important point. And you can talk about Green Deal strategies and so on, but if you don't take that in account, you leave it to other global players. And there is another risk as well. If you put incentives available, financial incentives, who on the end will really take advantage and profit from those incentives? Will it be European companies and players? Or will it be more the global players? Which is not really, I would say, here the purpose from the European Union and its strategies. Thank you. Thank you very much. To um, touch upon what you just said, I have a question for Mr. Fournia. Uh, that's from Mrs. Kreti in the audience. Um, how can the EU support the development of supply chain of critical raw materials in Kazakhstan? Uh, are there financial or technical instruments that are being studied? Yeah, it's a very, very good question because um, at the hour of application for the Global Gateway, we have a lot of critics including in the parliament in the la latest debate, because we want to deploy this amount. Um, Global Gateway should have uh, 300 billion available, which are various instruments. Uh, we know that for Africa it's 150 billion, for uh, Latin America 45 billion. We don't know it yet how much money will be dedicated, or if any, will be dedicated to Central Asia. What we know, we know from our colleagues, from civil society organization, from uh, from uh, Kazakhstan, which are in contact with us, that for the moment are no money dedicated for civil society organization. I imagine for infrastructure, not too many. But in the future, I think we need to, to focus on the corridors to go to the Caspian region. I saw the, the debate among Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, um, Turkmenistan, mainly about um, the possibility of creating this uh, corridor for uh, pipelines uh, over Caspian Sea, and it's a little bit unfair because the Russians are claiming that it's a problem to pass with these uh, pipelines to Caspian Sea, but it's not a problem to pass uh, to Black Sea. So uh, I imagine uh, if will be uh, stability in the area, in Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, this corridor, the ex-Nabucco, but uh, also uh, we, we can take into consideration Turkey, should be operational. These countries, they should have the right to have an alternative or a diversified path in order to arrive to European market, as they should have a, a path to go to the Chinese uh, and Central Asian uh, uh, countries. So uh, it's, uh, Kazakhstan, it's a leader country. It's uh, at the level of many European countries. I think the GDP of Kazakhstan is bigger, like of Romania or many other Eastern European countries. So it's a high uh, level development country for Asian region. So a lot of possibilities are coming from the internal resources, but European Union should be there. So should be in this discussion, this Traseca intergovernmental, um, uh, how to say, um, uh, body has been formed. 
but not populated with money. So that will be needed to be clarified. But the geostrategical issue has a little bit complicated the situation during the time. But I think now we, we see uh, more and more interest for all these countries, including from Turkmenistan, to, to be sure that they have a path to diversify their production. And today was a discussion in the council uh, about critical raw materials. And they said, with this discussion, we'll ensure the strategic autonomy. Personally, and I discussed many times in ESCC about that, I believe in strategic interdependence, not necessarily in strategic autonomy, because uh, territories like Europe will never have the resources of titanium of Kazakhstan or uranium or other raw materials, which in Europe you don't have it in this concentration because we are an old continent. We use it a lot in the industry before. So uh, this will be the line we need to focus more on our objectives, but the infrastructure should be a, a key point. Thank you for this. Um, thank you for your the, your point. We, we saw some of the challenges that the European Union is actually facing um, uh, regarding the, the trade of critical raw materials with Kazakhstan. What about Dr. Uh, Ibadildin? What about from the Kazakh point of view? What are um, some of the main, according to you, challenges that Kazakhstan is facing into uh, in this trade? I think uh, I just want to join to all of the ideas that were presented because right now the transit, our main pipeline is Caspian pipeline consortium which is going on from Atarao to Novorossiysk is for oil and this middle corridor uh, which everyone was talking over here, it's very important for Kazakhstan as well because European market for Kazakh goods as uh, uh, Mr. Minister said as well, it's our main export destination is Europe. Uh, we produce mainly oil, but critical materials, it's kind of next stage. And uh, uh, all the kind of metals, copper, I know uranium as well. Uh, uh, French company is operating in Kazakhstan. Uh, it's a joint venture with uh, our national company, Kazatomprom. But all other resources are kind of untapped and uh, I would also emphasize that in Kazakhstan, it's not only ore uh, over there, but there are a lot of tailings, which is technology provided from Europe to help uh, to work with the tailings as well, where, uh, I mean, the tailings, they can be like 70 years old, uh, starting from, I don't know, right after, during World War II, all of these materials they were produced and tailings are compiled, like, it's also, uh, some technology should be available now to process it. And all of this, like Niobe, Gali, because they are company in rare earth metals as well, it can be produced. But logistics, Kazakhstan is landlocked. And if it will go through, like, again, Caucasus and then to Europe, uh, it will be very, very kind of beneficial for Kazakhstan. And I just want to say that uh, Russia and China, they are present in Kazakhstan as well. And I think uh, for Kazakhstan to diversify all the geopolitical risk, to have such a partner as European Union, more presence of European Union companies, it will be vital for the like balancing all of these geopolitical risks. Yes, thank you very much. Th thank you very much for your intervention. Um, building up on this, I have a question for Mr. Chimoshevich. Um, uh, Dr. Ibadildin mentioned China and Russia. How would you say um, what are the main challenges, according to you, for Kazakhstan? So for deepening EU-Kazakhstan cooperation on energy security, when there are other actors, namely Russia, with whom the EU 
on whom uh, the EU imposes sanctions. How, how does it play out? Well, uh, I, I believe that it is probably not our role to tell uh, to our Kazakh uh, friends uh, what are the challenges uh, rising from the, the neighborhood. Uh, but uh, um, uh, trying not to be, let's say, paternalistic, uh, uh, it seems to be obvious that if you have uh, two big neighbors like China and Russia, uh, you, you, you have, of course, to live uh, very peacefully with them. You have to good reason to make business with them, to cooperate with them. But then uh, you should, uh, of course, uh, care about uh, the biggest, uh, the highest uh, possible level of your independence in making various decisions. So that, that requires, as I said before, a more balanced foreign policy. Uh, and um, uh, I understand uh, that uh, from Kazakh, Kazakhs, Kazakhstan's point of view, as I said before, Europe um, seems to be an interesting partner in, uh, in that way of, uh, let's say, thinking. Uh, the policy of, uh, the foreign policy of one of those Kazakhstan's uh, neighbors of Russia uh, recently uh, became, from my point of view, totally unacceptable, of course, because of aggression against Ukraine, and that complicates uh, the problem. Uh, because, for instance, when uh, we are talking about infrastructure uh, linking Kazakhstan and Europe, uh, I remember my talks with Kazakh partners about uh, developing uh, uh, land, truck transportation between Kazakhstan and Poland. Uh, uh, then we discussed about possibility to build a special railway ending either in Slovakia or in Poland. Uh, these projects, as I understand, have not been uh, fulfilled, or even if they were somehow advanced uh, today, uh, the situation in Ukraine, situation in Russia blocks uh, uh, the possibility of uh, using those uh, corridors. Uh, but uh, that war, as all in the history, one day will end, and after some time and under some conditions, uh, probably will we'll, uh, re-establish, probably not the same level, uh, however, still uh, re-establish some economic contacts and cooperation with Russia. And that uh, will probably let us uh, to use also Russian territory as a place through which uh, we can uh, uh, develop our practical contacts and transportation of goods between Kazakhstan and, and Europe. So, from the present uh, perspective, the uh, situation is uh, more com complicated than it was before and that it should be. However, I believe that in long-term perspective, uh, uh, it will normalize. Thank you very much. Mr. Minister, do you want to add, uh, add something on what our colleague just said? Look, I, I think uh, I just want to kind of return a little bit to an earlier comment. Uh, the, the key for the development of the Middle Corridor, for example, which is a highly relevant initiative and it's uh, shows by the uh, by the initiatives of Global Gateway and the overall attention that European countries are paying to that um, trading route. Um, I think infrastructurally, Kazakhstan is in a um, relatively good position. Uh, we have heavily invested <laughs> into the railroads. We've invested into the port infrastructure in the Caspian Sea. And I think what would give an additional stimulus to the development of the middle corridor is essentially 
commitment from the European companies to use it. And the rest of the things should flow naturally. So if we um, at some point get some uh, stronger commitments in terms of long-term agreements to, to use that specific transportation route uh, by major European players in, in the logistics or transportation, um, that will ensure additional flow investment into that, into that route. And uh, to us, fundamentally, um, the diversification of the trading routes is, 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 is very important. But also, I think, um, uh, geographically, there's a number of routes that Kazakhstan can take or European goods can take towards on the way to Asia or on the way back. And I think, given the current situation, some of these routes are probably becoming a little bit less uh, used. And, uh, that situation may change in the future. But again, if we want to seriously talk about the middle corridor and its development, I think it takes a, a commitment. And uh, if that commitment is there, the investment will flow, and then the, the volume of goods is, uh, is also going, going to increase. Um, uh, I think for the, from the Kazakhstan standpoint, uh, uh, our geographical position, right, and uh, uh, my colleague from Kazakhstan mentioned being landlocked, yes, that is, that is correct, creates a certain complexity. But I think the logistics of Kazakhstan's supply, the more high, you, high value at the product is, the easier it is to, uh, to transport. And I think, and this is what we've discussed extensively as well, we we felt like technological partnership with European companies is important in the sense that, it, yes, it brings the technology. Um, it helps to develop the human capital in Kazakhstan. But additionally, what it creates, it creates a more transportable good. And if, 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 and, and, and if whatever is produced is more transportable, it's because it has got higher added value that's been produced in the country. And from that standpoint, yes, logistics can be a an obstacle, but at the same time, one of the ways to uh, overcome an obstacle is A, having a commitment to that logistical route, and the second thing is, is to create a more valued products in, uh, in, uh, in, in Kazakhstan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we, talked about, uh, we talked about trade in general, but uh, in specific, there are uh, being asked, there are questions about uranium, as Kazakhstan is a leader in this uh, field in the world. I think it accounts for 40-42% of, uh, of the world's production. Um, a question maybe for Mr. Hudhouse. Um, do you feel that there is um, a renewed interest in Kazakhstan nuclear potential at the EU level, or is it going to be more limited to individual EU member states, such as France, as we saw that... Uh, Mr. Macron visited Kazakhstan. Where do you see um, this nuclear interest headed? Uh, what I see is it with the nuclear industry. The lobby of the traditional nuclear industry is still very strong. And they look mainly to writing off their former investments. Which blocks sometimes developments of completely new approaches to nuclear technology and industry. For instance, they always talk still about the very traditional approach of nuclear industry based on uranium. But you also have thorium. And thorium has a lot less, I would say, 
negative and toxic side effects than uranium. Kazakhstan is very rich also in thorium, but I don't see any, I would say, initiatives or even stimulants for, in fact, the development of uh, nuclear thorium-based industry in Kazakhstan. And I think there should be I th a new potential for Kazakhstan to develop and to focus on. Even if you're rich in uranium, you're also rich in thorium. And you always have already, as you were, a testing ground for the, in Soviet times for nuclear experiments. I would say, and that gives you, a, I would say, an approach to really to nuclear disarmament and other approaches on nuclear safety. You are one of the leading countries on that. I would say it would be very interesting also if Kazakhstan would take really a leading role for the development and investments on the thorium nuclear industry. Thank you. Oh, uh, sorry, please. Uh, it's changing the, 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 the order of uh, speeches, but I, I have heard, uh, listen to you with great satisfaction since, since I'm an enthusiast of uh, nuclear uh, power plants uh, using thorium instead of uh, uranium. There is one country in the world that uh, uh, has that uh, kind of product, uh, program. This is India. It's a governmental program adopted by India. And they are building uh, nuclear uh, reactors, uh, not just experimental ones for scientific research, but for pr producing uh, um, electricity. And uh, that, that could be if uh, more countries were convinced uh, to go this way, it could be much safer nuclear uh, electricity production sector if, uh, if that was, uh, let's say, chosen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe before before we ask maybe the minister a word uh, of answer, maybe we could ask Mr. Ibadildin what he thinks about uh, the development of thorium industry in Kazakhstan. Mm, I know for sure that uranium production is really widespread in Kazakhstan, and Kazakhstan had several initiatives on thorium. Thorium is much more widespread and is accompanying uranium as well. Uh, and in Kazakhstan, there are certain explorations, and since 2000, I mean, certain explorations were made back in uh, USSR times, but technology was not available for the reactors. And now, last, I think, two, three years, uh, in, like, presidential uh, administration, people talk about thorium, that it is also very perspective, which it is cleaner than uranium, it is much more widespread. There are certain geological uh, explorations in the northern Kazakhstan and in the southern Kazakhstan, but I think it needs further investigation. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Mistner, do you want to add something on the, on the subject? Look, I, I think the development of the nuclear industry can, can, can take multiple directions, right? So there's currently a lot of research being being done in the in the modular reactors for example right so at the moment if you think about it not not a lot of people building conventional uh, nuclear power station to generate electricity so which indicate economically that at some point the the demand for uranium would plateau in status at 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 a certain level but then what may lead 
to another kind of step in the development is, is, is the modular reactors, which are specifically can address one of the big problems with electricity for uh, large countries or for the uh, countries with a less developed infrastructure. Um, if you take uh, Africa, for example, or take some of the countries where there is no fully built up, scaled electricity transportation lines, nuclear reactors can be an answer. And that technology is being tested. I think there's, um, there's a number of companies that are uh, trying to, to develop the technology. So far, we haven't seen actual production, but I don't think that is too far away, in my view, given the amount of investments being put into that area. So what I think is, is that the another kind of step in evolution demand for uranium might be linked to the development of the nuclear industry in a direction of modular reactors as opposed to um, conventional nuclear power stations. And uh, I think on the, on the thorium, I think it's, it, it, it makes a valid argument and it clearly requires a lot more research. And uh, mm, hopefully, uh, as there are more examples available of successful usage of thorium as a, as, as a fuel for nuclear reactors, I think that technology has a, has a chance of a more wider adoption, and in which case it will create additional demand, and in which, in which case Kazakhstan is, of course, will be one of the places where the thorium can be uh, uh, mined and then uh, produced. So, thank you. Thank you very much. We, we talked about um, extraction and energies that can be um, quite polluting for the environment, hence a question for, from Morris. I'll take it from Meridia partners in the audience. This is a question for Mr. Fornea. How does the European Commission, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the European Commission intend to prevent the supply of raw materials from Kazakhstan not to harm or weaken the European Green Deal? It's a, it's a very good question because um, we will have this legislation on CBAM, uh, carbon adjustment uh, tax at the border, um, which uh, we will have to envisage how we will apply it to this, but also the due diligence issues are related with some environmental and societal uh, concerns. I don't have a clear image how this will be, will be done, but I imagine that a lot of certification is working already among the companies which are operating in, uh, in, this, uh, uh, in this region, not only in Kazakhstan, but in other parts of, um, of Europe. I wonder how the French they succeeded to do it in uh, in Niger, you know, because uh, if uh, we see to the visit of President Macron, we have to link it somehow what's happened in Africa, in Niger, and uh, the need to find alternatives to the Nigerian um, uranium or Malian uranium and so on. Um, we have a cooperation with Canada, Australia and so on, it's much easier. With Kazakhstan, it's not very complicated because coming from the ex-Soviet space, at least we in the eastern part of Europe, we find a lot of affinities among the system, education system. We, um, we see uh, societies which are quite secular if we, uh, in the, for Central Asia. It's uh, very interesting for us in Eastern Europe. Sometimes we meet the people from um, uh, Eastern Partnership countries and they are very keen with the situation in Central Asia. Moreover, Kazakhstan is one of the regions 
or one of the countries which has a lot of territory in Europe. It's one of the countries uh, from Central Asia which has a European, uh, geographically speaking, and uh, positioning uh, territory. So um, I think um, European uh, institution will be uh, sensible to this and civil society organization also. From my point of view, as a trade unionist, I think the critical raw materials or raw materials in general should be a pretext for people-to-people relations, for multilateral, uh, diversified uh, relation, economic relations. Nobody wants to, make, uh, to build a relation only on uh, raw materials. I would not like it to have it for Romania as I would not like it to have for Kazakhstan or Africa wherever. This is a pretext and around some hubs, industrial hubs like airspace, industry and uh, what you have already in Bayakonur, uh, in, uh, in the um, uh, Airbus uh, cooperation and so on, I think are basis for future cooperation with high value added because this is what we are um, uh, pursuing, I think, because this is um, enhancing the cooperation. If you based only on raw materials, will be a moment in time when you will arrive in a crisis. But if you develop multilaterally the, 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 on uh, financial, on technological innovation, exchanges of uh, of people, because we have a lot of needs from uh, educated people here in Europe, and these exchanges, as said the professor uh, on Erasmus, I think can be a, a future basis, and the critical raw material should be a chapter of this relationship. A very uh, well put comment. Um, and um, as I was driving here today, I was checking Wikipedia for the most populous European countries. And of course, Germany is there, France, and then uh, we were looking at Poland with uh, almost 38 million of population. But given that Kazakhstan is, like you said, is for the large part of it is a European country and, and is located in Europe. It would make it uh, the eleventh uh, country by population, very close to Romania, in fact, yes, almost, indeed. almost, almost equal. Um, and I think the cooperation between um, Kazakhstan and the European Union expands slightly beyond critical raw materials. And I think raw materials a little bit of a misnomer. It's not just supply of, like, I don't know, some titanium concentrate. We actually produce ready metal that can be used, right, mm -hmm. for example. But um, uh, we can also talk about hydrogen, for example, and there's, uh, there's a number of projects in, in the in alternative uh, uh, energy space. Kazakhstan has committed to building close to uh, four, four and a half gigawatt of the alternative wind capacity. There's a um, um, as a uh, German-Swedish company called Swevent that currently works in Kazakhstan and attempts to implement uh, hydrogen production. So if you think about Kazakhstan because of its size and the geographical diversity, it has got access to a lot of very high-quality wind and a lot of high-quality sun. So there are areas in Kazakhstan that have uh, 365 sunny days in a year. Um, and combination of that kind of creates a way of producing green hydrogen. Uh, countries rich in gas, it can also produce blue hydrogen as well out of methane, right? Uh, the technology is already available for, for that. And I think uh, what is important here is that having that alternative energy base in Kazakhstan sounds surprising because we are known as the 
fossil fuel rich country. But that is nonetheless true and there are studies confirming that, that uh, the, there's some very high quality wind and a lot of foreign investors committing capital to building uh, wind turbine facilities. But combination of the European technological expertise in green steel productions, in using hydrogen for the manufacturing purposes the way we use gas historically, could create another wave of opportunities. And I think uh, the critical materials is just the first step on that journey because if we move further to towards hydrogen usage, we can actually capitalize on the combination of availability of high-quality alternative energy sources in Kazakhstan, using it for the production of hydrogen. And then as a next step, uh, production of the, uh, for example, green steel, which still, by the way, it's a very, very few examples where it's been successfully done, but we're thinking that there is a, there's a potential to do that where energy is produced and then transporting the, 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 the ready uh, materials to, to the European Union for further usage. Thank you. Thank you. There is a question for maybe both you and uh, Mr. Badildin um, that comes up quite often. So we're talking about maybe producing more hydrogen and this is also one of the objectives of the Memorandum of Understanding that's been signed between the European Union and Kazakhstan. But um, are Kazakhstan's uh, pipelines hydrogen ready um, to increase the volume today or are there challenges in, these, uh, in this particular field? Okay, perhaps, uh, perhaps I'll start and uh, uh, Dr. Bowden can, uh, can, can join. Look, uh, there's, a, there's always uh, seems to be an, a, a big argument that um, um, transportation of hydrogen can only be done through pipes. In the actual fact, there's, there's, there's a number of alternatives, right? So, um, essentially, uh, the world has got a lot of expertise in transporting ammonia, for example, which is essentially hydrogen, right, in, in, in terms of its, its chemical composition. And um, for ammonia transportation, we already have enough uh, infrastructure, and uh, if you think about it, you can transport it on a railway and then deliver it to the, to the point of where it's being utilized for purposes either as a source of energy or, or, or fuel. And um, um, the company that I mentioned earlier did multiple studies about this. And apparently, uh, even including the, the transportation cost for Kazakhstan, let's, let's not forget, right? So you, there are other places where hydrogen or ammonia can be produced but they are outside Europe. And regardless whether you produce it, say, in South Africa, which has also got high-quality winds, or you can produce it in Middle East, which got access to a lot of sun and energy, right, there's still going to be a transportation cost component. So on a relative basis, Kazakhstan, because of its relative proximity to Europe, is fairly competitive on the pricing. Um, uh, the, the current pipelines that are used for gas, of course, they will need to go through the standard routes, which involves basically traveling through most of the Europe. I think that technology has not been yet widely tested and widely adopted, whilst um, transporting ammonia has been, has been a, a lot more common uh, historically. That's kind of if you decide to transport the energy source to point of usage. But the other alternative is to move in production to where the energy is generated. 
right? And that, that is also an alternative which we actively discussing now, saying, okay, uh, if we can't get uh, a, a, an energy source to the, to the point of the manufacturing point, we can maybe manufacture at the point where we produce energy and then transport, mm -hmm. which makes it a lot easier. So, um, but I think what is fundamental is, in this sense, I think the world kind of making hydrogen almost self-fulfilling prophecy now, because so many people are uh, producing it in various parts of the world, and, uh, uh, and if Kazakhstan becomes a, one of the players of the production, I think as the critical mass of producers grows, logistical um, and transportation issues will be uh, will be more addressed and more practical because of the economy of scale and, 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 and people using it. Right now, it seems like insurmountable mm -hmm. obstacle, but in reality, as everybody is producing hydrogen, the technology will evolve to an extent that we will be able to, to utilize that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe Dr. Ibadildin online wants to add something to what oh. the minister just said. Yeah. Uh, can I add a little bit about this? Also, previous speakers were saying that uh, Europe and Kazakhstan has a lot of in common. I just want to say that uh, in Kazakhstan we have, for example, Polish minority over here. They came over here maybe against their own will back in Stalin time. But uh, I had professors which are ethnic Poles, yes, and we have the Pole schools so over here which are, I think uh, they have good relationship with like Polish embassy and so on and so on. And Polish language is taught in universities. Uh, in certain places, they live kind of close to, I mean, they live uh, more or less together, this Pol Polish community. Some of them, they moved already to Poland. And uh, all of this, like uh, back in 1930s, a lot of people kind of came to Kazakhstan. So our connection with Europe is not only in terms of this, uh, some part of like Kazakhstan is in Europe, not only trade, but a lot of like historical Yanushkevich, Mitskevich. We have the streets in uh, Almaty and in Astana as well. Actually, they also were in exile over here, but still this connection with Europe and Yanushkevich, he wrote a lot about Kazakhs. I think he made some kind of ethnographic uh, reports as well. Uh, let's come back to all of this green hydrogen in Kazakhstan because Kazakhstan... Yes, this project is well known in this Western Kazakhstan that this uh, Swedish German uh, company will uh, is going to build this uh, plant. And uh, regarding the pipelines, pipelines all the time is uh, something which is like obstacle for Kazakhstan because the shortest one goes to Russia, and Russia right now in their own kind of another historical turn which all the neighbors kind of uh, take with very cautious uh, view, in a sense. Uh, that's why uh, this middle corridor came to existence, because Russia is becoming uh, less uh, predictable. And uh, I think, uh, at least for foreseeable future, uh, transportation uh, will be what Mr. Minister said that in this ammonia forum. Uh, pipelines from Kazakhstan right now, Iran is also under sanctions. Uh, and if it is from Western Kazakhstan where the winds and if it is green uh, hydrogen, it should be, again, middle corridor is an option for the transportation uh, for this product. Thank you very much. Thank you for your intervention. You mentioned, as several of our panelists 
um, the fact that the relationship between Kazakhstan and the EU is, of course, going uh, beyond uh, just delivery of uh, critical raw materials. Um, so is there a way that this, to, that this um, relation can be used to reinforce the stability within the whole region, the whole Central Asian region, maybe? Question for Mr. Hudhels. Well, I would say economic development, I would say, is a priority for stability in a region and in countries. The more you, and I think there the EU can really be a very important partner for the Central Asian region and of course for Kazakhstan. And in the present geopolitical situation, still more important. And I think the focus should really be from the EU, I would say, on devil uh, bringing, I would say, incentives, and not only incentives, but really re practical, I would say, measures as well as resources, I would say, on technological level, also, but also on financial level, to support, I would say, uh, the local industry of processing in Kazakhstan because mining on itself and exporting raw materials or critical raw materials is one thing, but that brings very little, I would say, in added value to the economic development of a country. If, and there also Europe, Union, we don't really have a lot of global mining enterprises. We are much more strong on the technological side of processing and extracting, uh, I would say, the mining products. And there we can really give added value <coughs> to the Kazakhstan local economy because local processing, local extraction, that's giving the, I would say, added value, but also it brings more local uh, jobs. It brings, I would say, local development. And there I join again the minister. Right? It's also where he was saying, and that's the advantage of this middle corridor, you know, transport by railway to Europe through the middle corridor. Once you can put products, finished products or semi-processed products in a container, it reduces extremely the volume. And for a landlocked country as Kazakhstan, that's, I would say, a real priority to get, I would say, reduces the volume, the volumes, create added value on its products. That's, I would say, a necessity for its economic, local economic development. And that makes it easier also to get the products to Europe, to the European Union. I would say, that's, I would say, essential. On, on the side also, I would uh, add something on what you were saying on the nuclear industry. Thorium, in fact, there are two ways to obtain thorium or you mine it, but I, it's also a major side product, a waste, in fact it's a waste product in 
normal mining of other raw materials and critical raw materials. It's a major site and waste product. In fact, you reusing the thorium as a waste product of the other mining activities, it's in fact a very sustainable approach and it reduces, in fact, you have the raw material of thorium already available for free. So I think it would be a very interesting, I would say, idea to explore further in Kazakhstan to become a kind of front runner because there are only two countries. You mentioned India and there is another country, China. Those are the two only countries where you have already experimental, I would say, reactors. The second advantage of thorium reactors is that the investment is very much lower for a thorium reactor than for a traditional nuclear uranium-based reactor. So, yes, thank you. Thank you for your answer. Um, I have a I question. I would like to ask, in Europe, we have a lot of, I would say, technological research also on the thorium. And that could be also an added value for the cooperation between Kazakhstan and European Union. Thank you. Does the minister want to answer or...? Um, look, I, I think uh, it is a, a very good point that if there is some uh, mining tailings or byproducts of mining that can be reused to produce not just thorium but other materials, we should utilize that technology. I can give you an example, and I'm a little bit more practical in terms of like how we try to achieve this. For example, this um, is a material called chromium. I think I'm using the right English English word for it. We have tailings from mining from the Soviet times that have been heavily oxidized because been lying around for 50, 60 years, and um, and I believe, of course, we probably used it as some uh, imported technology to do it, but instead of mining chromium ore mm -hmm. underground, we're now recycling those tailings. There's an actual project we, 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 um, that we've implemented that produces a very high quality chromium concentrate, which then can, use, can be used to produce the, the, uh, the actual final products. And uh, to us, I think the ideology of a circular economy, if you will, is something that we want to rely on, and I think there's a lot of European technology that we can bring in. This is just one of the examples of practical application to what, what can be done, and um, um, hydrometallurgy is one of them. This is the utilizing again for uh, copper production, the historic tailings from the, um, from the already finished uh, uh, mining sites. And um, I think if there is a research or kind of a technology that is available. We're very, very interested in, in looking into this and, and, and trying to find a cooperation model where we can import the technology, provide the base for production, and hopefully extract an, uh, an economic value for both the technology provider and the, and the country. Thank you very much. We've been talking a lot about mining, extracting a lot of minerals, and there is well, a question that came up um, quite a certain number of time. A question, actually, to, the, to Minister Shalapayev, uh, but please feel free to, uh, to jump in. 
What, so we know that Central Asia is one of the areas in the world that's the most affected by climate change, especially when it comes to desertification, uh, the rarefication of water. Uh, what, what are the impacts of the dwindling resources of water um, on the development of this raw materials potential? And what can it also mean for the European Union? Um, maybe if the minister wants to answer or Mr. Ibadildi online. I think it is, it is a very, very complex question, right? And... Um, um, first of all, I think what is what is important, and we need to I think acknowledge it from our side, is that I think the the kind of green deal of the European Union and Kazakhstan's climate goals are fully aligned between each other. So we we uh, recently adopted a carbon neutrality strategy uh, last year. Uh, we have committed to the carbon neutrality by. 2060. So I think, I think that goal is, is, is globally shared by both the European Union, Kazakhstan and, and other countries, of course. Water is a, is a, a, a complex matter. So first of all, we, we, we need to understand that uh, Central Asia is uh, not the most kind of, uh, wasn't blessed with that resource, right? But there are solutions for what we're trying to do. And I think sustainable agriculture is one of them. So utilizing the, the right level of the, of, of the technology to make sure that we use water in a responsible way. For example, if we use uh, uh, for agriculture, it, the technology needs to evolve and Kazakhstan's making a, a very strong step in that, in that direction by basically bringing the modern technology for water usage mm -hmm. in agriculture. The second thing is of course, which is also important for us is uh, uh, is a um, encouraging and educating population on, on on water usage and making sure that uh, people uh, in the country use 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 water responsibly. Sometimes there uh, there's a pricing element to that. In uh, if on a relative basis, the water in Kazakhstan is relatively cheap, and I think that needs to also start evolving into a more balanced picture at some point. And um, uh, there's also a kind of uh, a second layer to it. Kazakhstan, well, it doesn't have big rivers. It has got quite a few of uh, uh, underground water reserves. Mm -hmm. And we have really tightened the, the policy on usage of those. And um, uh, for example, there are literally uh, oil production sites that had to uh, curtail their operations in some way because they were coinciding with water reservoirs on the ground. And we decided that protection of water is more important mm -hmm. than extraction of oil. That's a very good, uh, very good example. Thank you, Mr. Minister. Um, unfortunately, that's almost all we have time for. Um, thank you to our panel and thanks to our audience for the questions. But before we wrap up the session, I'd like to give each of our panelists um, the floor for a minute to give us uh, their closing statement. Um, Mr. Cimosiewicz, if you want to start. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, our discussion proved that uh, there are more and more projects of different uh, sorts uh, between uh, Kazakhstan and European Union. And that is a uh, uh, kind of guarantee that uh, uh, in, in the future we are going to cooperate closer and more intensive. And uh, in my opinion, this is a very positive scenario. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Fornier. Very interesting uh, session. Uh, it's as the professor said. It's not only Polish. We have also twenty thousand Romani twenty thousand Romanian community, and also descendant are forty thousand somehow like this. We have a representative there, uh, Nikolai Plushkis, which is from the Association Dacia in Karaganda. We uh, we visit uh, your country. We are um, very related with what is happening uh, in Kazakhstan and our energy supply is depending now on the very good relation that we have with Kazakhstan. So I'm sure that the European Union will uh, develop these relationships, not only on energy aspects, but also in inter-human uh, connection. And the social modernization is also a very important aspect for Kazakhstan to be taken into account in the next period. Thank you very much, Mr. Hoodhouse. Well, I would say, for me, there is a huge potential with Kazakhstan and also, I would say, the resources. It has huge resources which needs a lot of investment. And there, for, to develop this potential, the EU could be a really very good partner. It would be very good for the European Union for what they want now in their strategy of de-risking or decoupling. But I would say at the same time, we have in Europe the technology, innovation, the know-how, the expertise. Kazakhstan has the resources and needs the technologies for developing really its processing and extracting industry locally, which makes the, it's for me the only solution to for a landlocked country to develop its economy and to get linked through, for instance, this middle corridor railway systems with, for instance, the European Union. So I would say, but for sending the and supporting the European companies to go to Kazakhstan for investing there, and developing together with Kazakhstan this extracting and processing industry, there needs also to be from the European Union much more efforts to be done on financial incentives and frameworks for the European industry to reach and to obtain that results. Because what we see now it's mainly only as a member state, it's mainly Germany who has already got this long-term vision to invest really important way in Kazakhstan. So now it's also to get the other member countries of Europe to Kazakhstan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, online, Mr. Ibadildin, your last... Um, yeah, uh, my closing remark will be, I think for Kazakhstan, it's very important any contacts with Europe because as a post-Soviet country, we need some kind of import of institutions in terms of all of this, uh, as uh, one of the speakers said, social modernization, again, the development of civil society, human rights protection, accountability of the government, independence of judiciary, all of the things, they, I mean, there is huge room for improvement. And I think European Union, with this uh, massive investment, they can also make some kind of uh, changes in this area for Kazakhstan as well. And I think uh, uh, everyone will benefit out of it. 
And in terms of, again, in all of these geopolitical triangles over here, I think European Union for Kazakhstan is a really important partner in any aspect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Minister, your closing statement. Okay. First of all, I would like to thank you all for the, the contribution to this discussion. I think it was um, um, very um, productive in terms of the aspects that we, we've covered. I think this, um, of course, uh, we're lucky that our cooperation, we're already building on a very strong foundation. And I think the, the fact that Kazakhstan is already a reliable par partner for the European Union is, is, is undisputable. We, we are partners and we have been working together for a, for a long time. And I think this uh, expansion and, and development of essentially ensuring sustainability and uh, diversification of uh, supply to the European Union of, of the materials that that the company need, uh, that the country needs for countries of the European Union need for the for the energy transition. I think it's an important aspect of that cooperation, and we we will continue working in that direction. I think commitment from the European Union to the middle corridor as a strategy in uh, terms of financial resources is, is 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 very important, and I think it will help to 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 push uh, this transportation route forward. But additionally, what I also wanted to mention, there's another dimension of Kazakhstan, which is, um, I think we haven't fully covered here today, but Kazakhstan, while it is a landlocked country, mm -hmm. right, it is a, is a gateway to the rest of the Central Asia. So the, uh, our neighbors, uh, uh, because of the geographical position, uh, often rely on Kazakhstan for the transportation, mm -hmm. goods to and from uh, our Central Asian neighbors. And I think it is also important for European countries and for European companies to look at Kazakhstan not just as a source of things, but also as a destination mm -hmm. for the European products. And that destination can uh, work not only just for the Kazakhstan market, but also for the markets beyond Kazakhstan in, in Central Asia, and um, that in combination creates probably a, a fairly attractive opportunity as a destination rather than just a, uh, a place from where we can source something. So I think in that regard, Kazakhstan is, 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 is also very much ready to be uh, a reliable partner for our uh, European colleagues. And uh, again, thank you very much for devoting so much time for this discussion, and very much appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, it's been it's been useful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much to the audience, to everyone who came here and online. Thank you to Dr. Ibadildin joining us live from uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, that's all for this conference. Uh, thank you very much for coming, and uh, hope to see you next time. Have a great day. Thank you.